The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. A few weeks ago, a friend and fellow podcaster, Bill Wadman, emailed me. And he wrote, Hey, have you ever done an episode where someone interviews you about what you've distilled from talking to hundreds of photographers over the years? And I responded, Not really. Are you offering? So here we are. We managed to find some time in our schedules to sit down for about an hour. And this time, he asked me the questions, which is always a strange thing. Now, for those of you who don't know Bill Wadman, he is a professional portrait photographer out of New York City, who I interviewed for the show back in episode 116. He is also the co-host of the podcast On Taking Pictures, which he produces each week with another friend of the show, Jeffrey Sidoris. Now, if you aren't already a listener to their show, I highly recommend it. If you're a fan of TCF, I'm pretty sure you'll want to subscribe to their show as well. So I hope that you enjoy the tables being reversed on me yet again. Uh, we'll be back next week with more conversations with great photographers. You started this. I, I did some reading. You you started this. You felt like there was no. You started the candid frame because you felt like there was no real uh, voice of non gear related stuff. Uh, out there in the podcast world. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, at least the ones that I was listening to, they were all right. about equipment, about lenses and cameras and, yeah. you know, rumors. And because I was just up to my ears with that stuff at, at the magazine, yeah. I just wanted something different because I worked eight hours at that office writing about all that stuff. And I didn't want to spend, you know, my hour, hour and a half commute one way being spent listening to more of the same. <laughs> so I I was, you know, I'm voracious in terms of wanting to consume content with respect to photography. And so I thought, well, if no one else is doing it, maybe I should. And, yeah. and I did. And, you know, here I am almost 10 years later. Right. Yeah. 285 episodes in. Yeah. Uh, you, you've interviewed so many people now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you've seen some sort of commonality or, or some uh, trends across uh, all the people, you, uh, all the people you've talked to. You know what I mean? Man, it's, I was, I, I was thinking that was going to be one of your questions. And, and, and you were worried that that was yeah, one of the questions. You know, I really couldn't, I really couldn't think of a, a good answer to that because, yeah. to be quite honest, it's like it all turns into a blur. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It's nine years worth of conversation. Sometimes I don't, yeah. I don't remember the conversation I had yesterday morning. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when I when I think about what I've taken away from all those conversations is, is that the people that go out and do this, who make it a part of their lives, and I'm not just talking about people who go out there and make a living from photography, right? But people who've made photography a part of their lives there's nothing unique or special about them. Yeah. Any of it them. isn't. Yeah. It isn't that because they are innately gifted or talented. It's just that they make the choice to do the work and, yeah. and stay consistent. So I think that while it's interesting to hear from, 
you know, master photographers and legends yeah. like Ralph Gibson and Mary Ellen Mark. And right. sometimes the more interesting conversations come from people who I really don't know a whole lot about. Yeah. But they just tell me their stories about how they've worked on a personal project or, you know, how they've built their career. And it's always fascinating to see how that came about. And usually it's just them doing the footwork, them going out and reaching out and sharing their work or, or you know, or asking for help. Yeah. And sometimes it's just the simplest things that all of a sudden creates this idea that they have in their head and manifests manifests it into not just the photographs, but something, a book, uh, um, you know, an expose in a magazine, or even a career. So it's, if anything, it's like, there's no, there's no secret to it. It's just, it's, it's so simple. Yeah. So, I mean, are you saying that if you look at the, the, a lot of your photographers are artists for art's sake, a lot of the people you talk to, you know what I mean? People who are not making big money doing what they're doing. You know, they're doing it because they love it. They're working on projects. And then some of them are old school commercial photographers that you, that you, that you've spoken to over the years. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you see a, a, a difference in life, like the, the way that they look at life or the way they look at their work, you know, that the, that the commercial people see it as a business more than a love, or is there any difference, you know, between those kinds of people that you've noticed? Um, I think that the, I guess the commercial photographers, the, the people out there are making more than an average living. Yeah. It's two schools. Either they themselves are particularly savvy uh, on the business end. Yeah. Or sometimes they have someone on their team who is. Yeah. Which allows them to be creative. Yeah. There, there's somebody who's the, who's the, biz, the brains behind the business. Right. Like, yeah. like in the case of Doug, uh, Douglas Kirkland and Dan Winters, yeah. their wives create a situation for them where they can dedicate practically all their energy and time to being creative. Yeah. Now these are two legends of, 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 you know, photography. Yeah. And, but both of them have that, uh, as part of their, their arsenal. Right. Is that they have wives that are incredibly supportive of their creativity, but that they, these wives are also sort of like the brains, yeah, you know, and sometimes the brawn in terms of managing and sustaining the business and the careers of their of their photographer husbands and and both of them would admit that freely and, oh, and say with, as much. without a doubt i mean when i met yeah. when i met dan and um i was working on on um uh, a book with him yeah and i met his wife and we sat down and i spent like 3 days with dan and when i met his wife it made sense <laughs> and i said okay that explains it this is how how this man can you know, have dedicated so much of his energy almost exclusively to being creative in one way or another, whether it's photography, whether it's writing, whether it's constructing sets, you know, God, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, he's inexhaustible. Yeah. And, and, but that's one of the reasons why that happens. But there, there are other people who don't have the, the benefit of a spouse, but who nevertheless are able to, you know, hustle. Yeah, and maintain their their level of creativity even without the support of of a spouse. Uh, but it's really interesting to see how different people achieve it. I think that that one of the more interesting things is trying to understand how some people are able to do this and how some others aren't. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I always think I always wonder if there are examples of of successful commercially successful photographers out there who will, will freely admit that they didn't hustle, they didn't have anything, they just got lucky. Or you know what I mean, they kind of fell into the 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 right group of people and it kind of took off from there, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I think there's there's some truth it's to gotta that. Got to be a handful of those uh, out there as well. You know, but I think luck luck isn't inexhaustible. Yeah. I mean, even if you get an opportunity, the- you get the break. You got to be able to to stay there. Yeah, yeah. And, and be able to sustain it because you still have to build the relationships. You still have to do the work. Yeah, you still have to start you know networking because that one person who gave you the break isn't going to be the only person right. who's going to give you work. Yeah, and then you have to go out there and and produce more work, better work, work that that is distinctive from everyone else that's out there. Yeah, um, it's not Which an of course easy thing. is harder and harder to do every day <laughs> as things get more complex and more there's more players in the field and you, know? you, and you know all that all, sure. all too well yeah. about that i mean i listened to you and and uh, jeffrey talk about this whole issue several times over you know and it and it's yeah. it's, it's it's an interesting thing i think the one thing i did think about the last couple of days i think that a lot of people are interested in hearing about different people's journey yeah hoping that they'll get, gain some insight into being able to do it themselves <laughs> but sometimes i think that people want to hear that want to hear about the difficulty so they can justify why they don't do it themselves. Yeah. That, oh, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah, look how hard it was for that guy. Like oh, now, yeah, man, I could never do that. Like I should never even try. Yeah. They, they may have the desire to yeah. do it, but they'll think, oh, you know, he got it because he had a wife or he got it because, yeah. you know, he came from rich parents or he got it because he made this connection. And, right. and I think that excuse is, can keep you from following whatever path you're meant to in order to be able to get to where you are. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's a, a psychological profile to, to, to the photographers you've, you've talked to? Is there something uh, insular? Is there something inward looking to, to, to a lot of them or, or you see what I'm saying? Or, or is it, is it, does it run the gamut between people who are crazy public extroverts and people who are introverts who are not socially, you know, is there, is there some co- commonality towards, uh, um, the personality that you've seen? Mm. I'm, I'm not sure. I think that generally speaking, I think that every person who picks up a camera who feels like they have something to say, uh, has an ego. <laughs> Basically you're saying that the way I see the, what I want to say is important yeah. and deserves is deserving of some attention granted some of those people have more insecurities than others but that doesn't seem to be the real arbiter of whether or not the work gets out there because i've talked to people who seem to be incredibly confident and then i've talked talked to people who you know i get the sense that they have a lot of insecurity yeah but regardless of what end of the table they they sit on with respect to that they both go out there and they do the work yeah. So it's not like, oh yeah, you need a you need a strong ego to be able to, you know, face rejection and all those things. Sure. And be able to do it. But then I have plenty of examples of people out there who are, you know, who are would define themselves as very being very shy, who are not real aggressive about going out there and, you know, making business happen or networking. And yet both of these types of people have been able to create success in whatever way they've chosen to define that. And so it just it just becomes it just becomes that much more elusive to be able to pinpoint and say, oh, this is the reason why these people succeed and why these other people 
don't. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, a lot of the um, the the sort of classic old timers that you've spoken to over the years, it would it would be interesting to have a similar interview with them 40, 50 years ago, you know, or 30 years ago when they were getting their start to see how to see if if the way they thought about their career lines up with how people who are starting out with their careers now uh, see the world, you know, or if the world has changed that much over the years, you know, I, I've heard stories from a, from a lot of those guys who, who say something along the lines of, you know what, if I had to start out today in this business, I wouldn't bother. It's too hard that, you know, that kind of thing I've heard from a number of, uh, older photographers. And, and I wonder if that's just them being older people who are just sort of a little bit jaded and, uh, and, 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 you know, kind of at the ends of their careers and kind of tired or, or if, or, or if, if there's some truth in that. You know that that things really are that different nowadays. I go back and forth to to whether or not it's it's a mirage or if it's reality. You know. Yeah, I think it's it's probably true to some extent. I think for some people yeah. it is. It's it is changed and it is not the same game that they were in a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so you know they're you know disillusioned, disheartened uh, about what their careers are and what they might turn into. Yeah. Um. You know, when you're 40 and 50 years old, it's a much different world than when you're 20. Yeah. You know, because when you're 20, yeah, you're afraid of, of, of a lot of things. But, uh, you know, the fear of, oh, am I going to be able to, you know, make a go of this? Am I going to be able to pay my, my, my student loans and all these other things? But then you're 45 or 50, then you're worried about a whole bunch of other things. If you got kids, you're worrying about how am I going to pay for a college education? Yeah. You know, you're thinking about that, you know, in about 10 or 15 years. You have more on the line. Yeah. About 10 or 15 years from now, I'm not going to be able to go out there and shoot as as much as I'm doing now. Yeah. And do I really want to be doing this for another 15 or 20 years? I've already been doing it for 20. Yeah. You know, and it's not, and economically, it's not going to get much better. It's probably going to be, I'm probably going to be spending a good amount of my energy just trying to maintain status quo. Yeah. And do I want to extend the next ten or fifteen years to just keeping my head above water? Yeah. So, but but you, but then you kind of say, well, you know what? Things have always been changing in this in this world and in the in the industry. Maybe 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 it's always been changing. It always will be changing. And this is just another change, another flux. You know. And obviously, there are people out there making a living doing it. So something must be possible. So maybe it's just perception or or, or just the way the perspective, I guess, is the better word. I know? think I think people who are sort of have a healthy relationship with their creative careers have to be like poker players. Yeah. You know, because poker players, you know, sometimes they're up, sometimes they're down. Yeah. Sometimes they're they're losing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, and sometimes they're winning hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it's funny that 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 <laughs> that that's an angle that I wanted to pull up the whole idea of like seeing patterns in people's long term careers. Oh yeah. I mean, did you find that people? Because uh, you know, I probably listened to I don't know four or five dozen of your shows, but I haven't listened to all two hundred eighty five, uh, admittedly. But, but, you know, it seems like some people are okay with talking about the ups and downs and other ones kind of want to gloss over the downs, right? And just kind of paint a rosy picture of, of everything. You see that? Yeah. Um, you know, it may be that I don't press them about the downtimes unless yeah. it's sort of, unless I know that's part of their story. Right. You do that on pretty, why do you do that? You think, you know, sometimes I don't, um, I don't have an end to that sometimes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I may have touched on that with a couple of people. Yeah. But if I think that's part of the story and that's part of the narrative, 
I'd ask them about that. But is your is your fear of offending them? Oh no no no! I, I won't hesitate asking the question. Yeah, I think I did ask that of Zach Arias, right? Because I knew that was part of his narrative—the fact that he at one point um, lost his first photographic business and was working at Kinko's, right? And then decided I have to pick a camera and return to photography and yeah, pick it up, again. you know, and has the career that he has now. So you know, there it was very obvious that that was part of his story, but. Um, some of the people, I think a good percentage of the people that I interview, the reason I pick them is because I see some of their work. Uh, a, a lot of it is inspired by seeing a personal project. So I go in there and I try to find out as much as I can about the photographers. And for the most part, these aren't photographers that are really well known. Right. They're fairly early in the careers or, or maybe they, they've been around for a while, but they aren't the kinds of photographer who, who have... Uh, an extensive assortment of interviews that I can research from. Yeah. So I may not necessarily know that, you know, five years ago they were virtually bankrupt and were ready to give up photography. Unless right. that naturally comes out of the conversation and then that gets revealed to me. Yeah. In my my interview style is pretty conversational. Yep. I just work, I, I, read, I read as much as I can or listen to as much as I can. And I make some chicken scratch notes on a piece of paper. And then the conversation goes and I very rarely refer back to those notes unless, you know, I'm, I'm struggling for, for a question. But usually I'm listening yeah. to the conversation and just one thing leads to another. Um, so unless that, that natural flow of conversation leads us to explore, you know, one of those, one of those times in their business or their photographic career where they thought about quitting or they were struggling... You know, it doesn't, it doesn't come up. Yeah. Maybe it should. Well, I'll have to see. Yeah. I just, you know, it, 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 when you're talking to somebody, do you feel like sometimes it, sometimes it's clicking and sometimes it's not, you know, from, from a conversational point of view? Yeah. 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 That's. And have you come up with shortcuts to either jump started or, or, you know, keep it going? You know what I'm saying? Like, a, um, uh, handy, handy, handy moves that you make, you know, that, that, that you use over and over again, that kind of thing. Uh, no, no. Yeah. I mean, sometimes things are firing on all cylinders and the other times I'm really having to pull it out of them. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think part of it, I think it isn't so much that the, um, there isn't rapport happening between me and that person. Cause I think I'm pretty good in terms of creating that with someone. I think that by the sort of small talk that I do before we start the official interview, quote unquote. Yep. And and the first question that I pose to them, uh, which is usually not the sort of standard question they're, they're sort of expecting, I set the tone. Because I'm never going to ask someone that as my first question, how do you get started as a photographer? Right. Yeah. You know, that's that's just a lazy, go nowhere question. Yeah. So, yeah. but I'm going to no answer. Right. And I'm going to ask them something that they're not expecting. And all of a sudden they have to share about the experience or how they felt about it. Uh, if anything, I'm trying to get them to reveal something personal about themselves or, or, or the work in a way that's like insightful, that's personal, that's unique to them. Yeah. And if I can do that, then I'm, I'm on good, good ground. I think the only times I've ever had trouble is when someone was on, was completely focused on their, on their stump speech. Right. Right. right and right. They, they, yeah, and they just would not get off of it. And I only had that happen once. And I tried everything I could to get them off of that. 
and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Do you think they didn't catch, they didn't take the hint or they really didn't want to talk about anything else? I I I don't think they got it. I it was fairly early on in the in the history of the podcast, so I think yeah. to some extent they just didn't understand the concept. Yeah. And so I think they were just they thought, "Oh, we're being interviewed. Yeah, these are my answers to the interview questions that I always get asked." Right. And they had an they had an they had an agenda. Yeah. There was something they wanted to express, they wanted to express a, a certain way. And whatever I tried in terms of trying to get them just just give me something that is not so practice, yeah. you know. Yeah, you you want something really authentic, right? Or, right. Uh, yeah. But you know, I put it I put it out there despite the fact that I, I felt like it wasn't the, the the best interview. But I felt like you know that shows you who this person is. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that has photography, at least from the point of view of photographers, there's a, not a lot of uh, fishing stories, but there's a certain amount of uh, uh, polish that everyone puts on th their own perception of success or or how well they're doing or, oh yeah, I'm putting out a book, but they don't talk about the fact that they, you know, paid to get it done because <laughs> no publisher would take it on or wh what have you, right? You know, everyone sort of has this, this they, they, need, to, they need to put on the things to show that, that they're doing well, whether or not they are. You know, yeah. at least I found with a lot of photographers that I talk to. So I can imagine in a situation where thousands of people are going to hear them talking about their own work, you get a lot of that kind of stuff and, and trying to cut through that a little bit to get to the reality of what's going on or or to the more personal nature of the person, you know, and, and why they're really doing what they're doing, not the PR version of why they're doing what they're doing is a difficult thing sometimes. That is difficult. It, that for me is not the most difficult thing. Because usually I can find some sort of in. Okay. You know, if someone's talking about, you know, doing a personal project and they're talking about, oh, okay, I, I spent, you know, a week with a bunch of, you know, drug addicts in, in, in the Bronx. Yeah. You know, my question to them is, is like, okay, how did you gain, how did you gain these people's trust? Yeah. You know, how did, weren't you scared? You know, how did you feel about, you know, feeling, how, how do you feel that you're not exploiting these people? Yeah. You know, and, and it forces them to sort of really think about the responses, not just as a photographer is creating these photographs, but as a human being. Well, th you know, it's interesting. I was about to ask you if, you know, now that you've talked to hundreds of people, have, have the conversations, going back to the reason why you did this in the beginning, have the conversations with these people changed your photographic work? I won't say it's changed my photographic work. I think it's changed my work. Okay. It's, it's made me think about all the excuses I have for not doing one thing or another. Yeah. And realize how much of those excuses are just bullshit. Yeah. Because there are people out there with less experience, less mm -hmm. talent. Less money. Less money, less, less resources. Yeah. And they're going out there and doing it. Yeah. Some people are older than me. Some people are younger than me. Some are men. Some are women. Some people live in the United States. Some live in Asia. Some live in South America. And they're going out there and they're doing their thing. Yeah. They're going out and just making making stuff. And here I am constantly lamenting the fact that, oh, oh I'm not getting a chance to do this. I don't have enough time. And I don't have blah, blah, blah. And I go, these people probably have less than me in all of those respects. And yet, the, and they're going out there and making the work. Yeah. So it, for me, it was just put the fire in my butt to say, okay, I can't just rely on these excuses. Those excuses are just, just that. Yeah. They're just excuses. Yeah. And so anytime I'm trying to focus on this thing that I'm trying to do, I always keep that into perspective. And it's yeah. like, okay, uh, my feelings cannot be the arbiter of what I choose to do or not to do. 
how I'm feeling this particular day about my where I'm insecure, where they're yeah. fearful, whether I'm doubtful about my abilities. It doesn't really matter. I got All something that has to be overcome. Right. Because what I have to do today, I have to pick up the phone and I have to make some phone calls. I have to put down, you know, sit at the computer and put out a first draft. I have to choose the prints that I'm going to submit for this for this contest or whatever whatever it is that I'm working yeah. on. Yeah. You know. Uh, I got to pick up the, you know, send out this email to the photographer who I'm trying to to get to interview here, who I'm really intimidated about interviewing. You know, all those things. Right. It's like, well, if I want to make this happen, I got to get over it. And and you th- you think that consistency has has helped your whole game? Absolutely. I mean, the podcast alone has been my greatest lesson about tenacity, about consistency. Yeah. I mean, I created this thing from nothing. It was just an idea in my head. And over the last nine years, I've gone through every emotion imaginable with respect to the work that I've put into this and what I think about the final outcome. Yeah. And it's turned out to be something that's much bigger than myself. It's turned out to be something that I could never have imagined when I was in my car driving and the idea popped into my head and the name of the show popped into my head. Yeah. And if I had thought of all the reasons why I couldn't do it, they may have been valid at the time, but if I had let those things stop me, all the things that have resulted from me starting this show would never have happened. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know anything about audio engineering. I didn't know how to edit audio. I didn't know how to upload a podcast. I didn't know anything about building a website. You know, I was, I was intimidated at the fact of reaching out to some of these photographers who I didn't know who were really famous and, and saying, hey, can I talk to you? My interview skills were, were good enough for, for writing magazine articles where I was writing down with chicken scratch and have a tape recorder by the telephone, knowing that I'm only going to need like four or five or seven quotes for the article. Yeah. But now I have to sit down there and I have to sustain a conversation for 40, 45 minutes and right. keep people engaged and entertained yeah. for that period of time. Which is a completely different thing than, yeah, grabbing a few poll quotes. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. if I had thought about all of those things at the time, yeah. I probably would have worked myself into a lather and not done it. Yeah, it's it's amazing how everything has to you, you have to start with one step and then just take the next step and then take the next step and only only when you sort of lose sight of how many steps you've taken you look back and see how far you've come. Otherwise, it's just so daunting you just don't, you don't bother to start. I've said this before and I think the big reason why I ended up succeeding as a podcaster is because there was no one out there else out there doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I didn't suffer from comparison. Yeah. And I think that that for me has always been sort of poison in terms of my thinking. Comparing myself as a photographer, comparing myself as a, a writer, and allowing those feelings to sort of, you know, really pollute the waters in terms of thinking about what I want to do. Yeah, but, but when it came to the podcast, there was no one out there doing what I wanted to do. No one. Right. So I didn't have to worry about, oh, you know, this other person is doing the show and they're doing a whole lot better than I am that I, I can't possibly compete with that. So I think that that really helped me. But it made, it made me realize that the only person choosing to do the comparison is me. So if I want to pursue my photography or pursue my writing, you know, I can just choose not to compare myself to anybody else, just like I did with the podcast and just do the work and then just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, if I can succeed at the podcast and have it be what it is nine years later, there's no reason why I can't achieve similar uh, successes, uh, uh, you know, similar, have a similar experience with these other things that I want to do 
if I just approach it the very same way that I did the podcast. Oh, I don't know how to do this. Well, let me figure it out. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how to, I don't know what how how to manage this. Let me call somebody and ask them for help. Yeah. It's it's interesting though that you even say the comparison stuff and it's not so much that if there was another photographer interview show at the time that your show wouldn't measure up in reality from from the point of view of listeners. It's as much that the comparison would exist in your own mind. And that would be enough to defeat it before it even started. Yeah. And I I think the big part is that I was so clear on what I wanted the show to be. I mean, people always talk about the importance of vision, about having a real clear vision in terms of what you want. And I think that with the podcast, I had a real clear vision of what the show was going to be. I knew the kinds of conversations I wanted to have, largely because it, they weren't the kind of conversations that I was getting to write about in the magazines. Yeah. You know, the, the magazine articles had their agenda. I had to mention equipment. I had to mention brands. And, you know, it was, you know, the magazine for large, you know, to, to a great extent is meant to sell advertising. Sure. And so the magazine articles, as informative as they, as they are sometimes, had an agenda. But yeah. the, the the conversations that I had on the show didn't have to have that. So I could have a conversation with people that just was born from my own curiosity about how did you make this? How you make this career? Tell me the story about this particular image. I was just insatiably curious. I always, I always have been. And putting this mic in front of my mouth gave me an opportunity to, to really feed into that in a way that I, I wasn't able to satisfy in any other way. And I think it was this absolute hunger that I had for those conversations that led me to put aside any trepidation that I had to do this and make it and make it manifest itself. Yeah. You know, um, I have a, I keep a list, uh, a wish list of, of people I'd love to photograph and take portraits of. And a handful of them have died in between mm. me adding them to the list and me not getting around to shooting them yet or unable to contact them, you know, the usual stuff. Anybody out there that, 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 that you're either, either in the eight years you were just like, oh, I, they passed away and you were just like, oh man, I wish I got to have interviewed them before they died or anything, yeah. anything like that. Yeah, there are a lot of those, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast, man. Yeah. It's just like. Does, does that make you more hungry for the ones that are on your list? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But he also tells me it's a kind of, things can be really unexpected. There was a photographer yeah. that I interviewed last year who, who passed away. Yeah. Young. He was in, I think he was in his 30s, you know, and he's gone. Yeah. And, and, and Mary Ellen Mark passed away last year. And yeah, I, recently, yeah. And I think, there, I think there have been, I think th- that I know of, three people who I've interviewed who have died. Yeah. And, um, it puts just, it in perspective. But yeah, it puts you in it puts it in perspective in terms of the brevity brevity of life, especially as yeah. I, I get older and people, you know, around me pass away and and so on. But you know, it, I think I've always had the desire to interview certain people, especially before they go, because I think this show I think is 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 so important, not just because it serves me personally, but just because I think it's a it's going to be an amazing archive for photographers of my generation who I've managed to interview on the show. And some of these people yeah. like, you know, I think some of the people like, I want to interview Bruce Davidson. I want to interview um, just, 
you know, Platon. I want to interview right. just people whose work has just made such an impression on me. Right. I mean, I've tried to, to interview Lee Freelander a couple of times, but he doesn't do interviews. I know someone who knows him personally. And she says he doesn't do interviews. And I've got, I would, but oh God, how I would love to yeah. be able to sit with Lee Freelander, Lee Friedlander for an hour right. and just be able to talk to him. And it's sad that because what you do is, yes, it's an interview, but it's not an interview in the traditional sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if somebody who doesn't do interviews is going to do one interview, it's with you that they should be doing it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I would um, hope so. But trying to convince them of that fact is, is, is somewhat, is, I can imagine, being difficult. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, if I have any frustration with, with the show, um, is that almost 10 years later, I still have to explain it. And I still <laughs> yeah. explain it. You know, when I reach out to people, they're like, what? Who? Yeah. And, and maybe I'm self-important, you know, and if so, so be it. But I feel like, God damn it, you should know who I am. Yeah. You yeah, should yeah. know. You know about I'm this the guy who show. does this thing that everybody else, a lot of people listen to. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And is that just another podcast? It's something that is tied to something that you are passionate about, that you've dedicated your whole life to. Yeah. And if you if you could get what I'm trying to do, uh, you would be beating down the door to sit down with me and talk with me. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted the show to turn into that, to the point where, you know. I don't have to convince somebody to get on the show that they go, oh, yeah, I've heard of you. I've heard yeah. of this. Yeah, I would I'd be love to talk. That kind of thing. Yeah. But there's got to be some people who do react that way. They do, but it's not enough to satisfy me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as honest as I can be, I think if, if I could say that I have any goal for this show within the next you know, couple of years, if, if I could make it into anything, it would be that. It raises and, its profile. Yeah, and I'm at a loss in terms of how to do that. I've made a bunch of different attempts to try and draw attention to the show and sort of make it, its profile much a larger one. But I've, you know, it's it's grown. Yeah, you know, over the, over the last you know uh, ten years, but not to the degree where it's a it's a known quantity. And I think it's so much more, it's much more valuable than most of the photo rags that are out there. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for, for, for it to happen. I mean, I'm doing a lot of other things in my life right now that may lead to that. But in my heart of hearts, if I could make this something that people go, oh, I know about you and the same thing as like, oh, Terry Gross and Fresh Air or... yeah. Or Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, I would love the show to get on par with that. Even though it's a specific niche, I still think that, well, I I think the show could be of interest to anyone, even if they're not a photographer. And I've heard countless number of times from people who aren't photographers who've listened to the show and gotten something out of it. Yeah. So I think there's a value to it that it, that far exceeds someone's sole interest in photography. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting your your show in the sense that you talk to hundreds of these photographers, and the show that Jeffrey and I do, where it's been 170 episodes of us talking for an hour or two hours, you know, hundreds of hours of just he and I talking about different subjects and, and seeing the, the evolution of our thoughts on those subjects and that kind of stuff. There's, there's a Venn diagram out there that has all the photographers in the world. And then a Venn diagram that is people listen to podcasts and the overlap (laughs) of those has to be half a million people, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I don't think either of us have half a million listeners every week. No. And, and so it's just, yeah, it's an interesting thing of like, well, how do you, how do you connect with these people so that they realize that there's this content out there that is more than speeds and feeds and, and who's got the most megapixels, you know? And I think that's the, that's the constant battle, you know? Yeah. It's really interesting to me how that all works out. Yeah, Cause I make, I make the show. My whole focus is I, I make a show that I would want to listen to. Mm-hmm. That's that's my goal every yeah. time I you know flip on the mic and I start talking to somebody. I want to have a conversation that I would want to listen to. And I go. Do you think that's true of your photography too? Do you make the kind of pictures that you yourself would want to see? I aspire to make p- the kinds of pictures that I love seeing other people make. Okay. No, that's, that's not true. That's not true. It's I I aspire to to make photographs that challenge me in the way that looking at other, some of other people's photographs challenge me. Okay. That's, yeah, that's sure. more accurate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause I'll look at Alex Webb, for example, mm-hmm. and just the way he creates a, a, a frame, you know, with a wide angle lens and the way he consolidates all those divergent elements into something that's just amazing. Yeah. You know, or yeah. William Albert Allard, how right. he'll shoot under lighting conditions that most people would consider impossible and able to pull out an image that has color and gesture and just this nuance. It's just absolutely stunning. Yeah. And I look at those and I just, my jaw just drops sometimes when I see these photographs and I go, they're beautiful, they're moving. And I, and I look at those pictures and I go, I never thought someone could make a picture like that. Yeah. And so when I see those, I want to create images that would evoke that same yeah. that same feeling, and unfortunately, I'm not that successful most of the time. But well, I'm, I, I'm constantly it, pursuing it. Yeah, but I mean, but but that's but that's the whole game, right? It's just doing the work. And you said earlier in the interview where you were talking about how none of these people seem exceptional when you're looking at them one on one. Or talking to them one on one, or it, I mean, exceptional in the sense not not that they aren't doing do great work and their work is such, but it's about the work. It's not about the people themselves somehow being special mm-hmm. uh, from from the get go. So so it's interesting. It's just like yeah, you know, this work that you look at and you go, I can't even imagine doing that. Well, th- those people probably look at other people and say, I can't imagine doing stuff like that guy does over there. You know? Yeah, I, I think that's the funny thing. I t- you know, there there are people who who look at the stuff that I do and they're like, Oh, how do you do that? And I'm like, I look at your stuff and say, how the hell do you do that? I don't, you know, like I don't even, I don't even see the world that way, you know, the way you see it. And that's probably the most interesting thing about photography in the end is just that it's this, it's this amalgamation of how all these different people see the world recorded so that they can share it with other people. And whatever life experiences they've had has influenced the way they end up using the camera and the way that they see. Yeah. And that's why, the kinds of photographs that they make are so unique to them that so many people can go out and try to emulate them by buying the same camera, buying sure. the same lens, trying to use the same Photoshop technique. But it's it's not going to be the same the same photographer. This photographer, whose name always eludes me when I want to mention him, Bruce Gilden. Okay, right. Yep. You take a look at Bruce's photographs, and they're intrinsically him. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, there was a time when a lot of people were emulating his technique of using the flash, uh, assaulting people on the streets, yep. taking these pictures. And yet, when you take a look at Bruce's photographs, you just go, everyone can try to emulate what he was doing, but they're never going to get it. Right. 
And when you yeah. hear conversations with Bruce, and he's one of the people I would love love to photo, uh, love to interview, he loves the people that he photographs. Yeah, he feels connected to them in a way that a lot of people who have gone off gone out and tried to emulate him, they don't feel that way about their subjects. They're they're more focused on a technique, uh, a practice, getting a shot. Yeah. They're not connected to the people they're photographing. They just may see them as an interesting character, but they're not in love with their subjects. Yeah, you know, they're choosing yeah. them because oh, this looks this might look like a photograph that Bruce Gilton would take. Yeah. But they're not invested in it. I was watching Bruce Lee uh, scene from uh, Enter the Dragon, okay, where he goes. There's a young student that comes up to him and he says, "Kick," you know, <laughs> yeah. and you know he chastises them for the weak kick. And he tells them, you must have emotional content in the kick, right? And then the kid tries to kick him again. You gotta be invested. And then he just says, no, no, not anger, emotional content. And it was just like he says, you have to be so present and focused on what you are doing at that moment that it, that's where the power comes from. And yeah. I think that that's the same thing with photography or with writing or with acting or with whatever it is you're trying to do, if, if it's more focused on the process itself or the technique, there's no emotional content there. There's, no, there's not that driving force that informs what you were doing with the camera. I mean, Mary, Mary Ellen Mark, she had so much love and compassion for the people she photographs. She just didn't see them as an opportunity to make an interesting photograph. You know, she she was invested in these people's lives over a lifetime. Yeah. She just didn't photograph these people and then forget them. She was often in touch with these people for over decades. Yeah. You know, and, and then not to say that every photographer who goes out and does documentary work has to do what she did, but it says something that the kind of work that she created could only have happened because of that mindset. Yeah. That sort of commitment not only to her work but to the people she had relationships with. And whatever that is for any, you know for any photographer that's out there, they have to tap into what is is it that's driving them to do what they're doing. Yeah, well, like that's the thing. Somebody could be a street photographer with a handheld flash and and be using the same technique as Gildan, but it's possible that they could actually do something that is very much their own with the identical technique. You know, right? Which is the whole other thing. You know, it's just but 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 they have to you have to accept the fact that what you're going to get is not what your hero was doing, but something that, that, that is, is, is your own, you know, and, and that, that you're invested in, in your own identity beyond what your heroes have done. Yeah, and, and emulation is part of the process. I sure. Mean, seeing what someone else is doing and following suit and trying to figure, figure, figure things out for yourself is valid. But at some point, you have, like you said, you have to move beyond that and yeah. find out how do you make this your own. Yeah. Um, someone can go out there. I mean, there are plenty of photographers who work on the street with flash. Yep. You know, but they're producing work that's very different from Bruce Gilden stuff. But their stuff is remarkable, but in a different yep. way. Exactly. But I think it's inexorably tied to why they're choosing the photograph, what they're choosing the photograph. Yeah. And I think that I think that's the most elusive thing for a photographer to do because I think they we're not trained to, to think in those terms. Yeah, well, I, I think that some people are so intent on trying to find the thing that makes them different only to realize that, that 
that the way to be different is to stop looking for it and it'll come to you. It's only when you stop looking for the thing that makes you different that you will become the thing that makes you different, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, it's a very Zen kind of way of looking at it. But I, but I, I do believe that it's true, you know, put your head down, do the work, take the pictures, then go back later and look at the commonalities between them and the things that have become your style of, of doing work, as opposed to trying to define a style from the beginning and shoot to that style. It's like, well, that doesn't work that way. Styles are organic. They, 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 they come out of the doing. They aren't something that is designed from the beginning, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so many people compliment me on, on, on the podcast and the way that I conduct interviews and that, you know, almost inevitably during every conversation, someone says, oh, that's a good question. Yeah. And which is very flattering, but it, it's exactly what you just said. Yeah. My whole approach was, has come out as a result of my practice over 280 yeah. plus episodes. Yeah. It's not because I I listen to Charlie Rose or right. you know or Studs Terkel or Terry Gross or yeah. any other great interviewers and yeah. try to to mimic them. I listen to them and I learn things from them, but inevitably it was just like I had to be myself. Yeah, and and you're authentically interested in the answer to the question, and that's key. That's and yeah. that's essential for any person who wants to interview someone. A good interview is not so much the person who's interested in. in asking a, uh, a good question it's a person who's sincerely interested in the answers yes well done yeah and if you're on that point then you're good yeah. but i think there's something analogous to that in in photography in some way is that you can't be it can't be about the process it's about you know the end result and the fact that it has to be something greater than yourself yeah in some ways the process is for you not for the viewer, you know? Right. It, yeah. it has to be completely yeah. invisible. So that, that's why when I look at, at a photograph where I see uh, a lot of Photoshop technique, it's like, sure. well, that's great. That calls attention to your artistry and your skills. But, you know, it's a it becomes less about the content of the photograph. Yeah. And it's more about your process and your technique. And I don't want to see your process or technique. Right. I want to take a look at a photograph and go, damn, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah. But then again, that's that's your thing. Some other people might be all about technique, right? Where they're just like, oh, I just want to see, uh, you know, I want to see the Franz Liszt or the Paganini of of, of Photoshop, you know, for, for you know, virtuosity in 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 craft. You and, know? and you got a dozen other podcasts and magazines that are absolutely, just that. yeah, yeah. And and I it's, think it's, people want to learn that stuff. But as and I think you guys, you and Jeffrey, have talked about this. About at, at some point, you have to. Sort of give give that up, yeah. And you go, okay. I've learned all this stuff now, and let me get to work. Yeah. And yeah, I may yeah. not know all this stuff. I may not. You know. You know what's amazing to me sometimes is when I see people who have don't have access to kind of equipment or resources that that you and I have to have. Yep. And they go out and they make work that just blows over. just blows me away, and I'm like, going, seriously? You know, you did this with this five year old camera and a fifty millimeter lens. Yeah. And you're twelve. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know? Not since Latigue did somebody do something like this. Like, where you been? Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Is, uh, you know, 285 in, is there an end to it? Will you ever be satisfied with, I have enough points of view? I'm still interested in doing it. I have a number in mind that I'll think about stopping at that number. He's like, it's 1,890. <laughs> Part of me can't imagine doing this forever. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, well, it's 10 years now, or going to be 10 years next year. 
And when I go, well, I'm not bored with this. Yeah. You know, I've had my moments where I'm just like, ugh. You know, sure. It can be a well, little bit of a chore. Well, there's the ups and downs we talked about before, the patterns. Right. The cycles, yeah. But, you know, if I can, if I can make it... If I can make it into what I'm hoping to make it, then I'll be glad to do this for a very, very long time. Yeah. Because part of my, you know, part of my, part of my wet dream with respect to this is not necessarily making my sole income from it, but having an income from some of the other things that I'm doing, and partly from from the show, that allows me to travel and visit people so I can talk to them in person. Yeah. You know, being oh, that's able to say. Being able to say, okay, I'm going to go to New York in in October, and I'm going to spend two weeks there. And there, yeah. and while I'm there, I'm going to conduct like five interviews while I'm there. Yeah. Or I'm going to go down to Miami, or I'm going to go out to Paris. And having the flexibility of being able to do that, because I much prefer doing the interviews in person. Yeah, but that doesn't sound like an outrageous request, you know. That's not that's not a pipe dream. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to try to do. Yeah, yeah, and trying to find a way to being able to to do that because part of my life for the last eight eight or nine years has been that of a freelancer. So yep. I haven't had the kind of flexibility of or had the income that would allow me to have that. Yeah, because you you know you're constantly sure. you get a job and then you're working twice as hard to make sure you get another job to. To you know, meet the nut yeah. next month, and you don't have as much time as you think. I mean, I got a regular gig. I'm in a contract for a year right now, and so I have like a regular nine to five uh, for the next twelve twelve months. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, that provides me a certain level of security, yep. but it also makes me very aware that I have less time now to be able to dedicate to the things I need to do personally, including the show. Yeah. And and you know, as you get older. Uh, there's also like a certain amount of like, hey, I don't, as we said about the older photographers, it's like, I'm not going to do this for 50 years more. So how do I want to spend the time that I've left doing what I'm doing? You know? Right. I think about that all the time. It's like, you know, it's like, what kind of, what kind of work do I actually want to, to have, have done? Not, not just like, not for posterity's sake, but for my own satisfaction's sake. Yeah. You know, but part of me feels like I, I could imagine myself doing this for a long time yeah. if I have less things to, to worry about. Because it's... You enjoy it's, doing it. I enjoy doing it. It's one of the few times where I feel comfortable having a conversation with a stranger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm just like... Which, which in real life would uh, gives you a little pause? Oh my God, I I'm very socially awkward. I, I why, why 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 do you think that is? Why can you do it over? Why can you do it over headphones and Skype, and and not do it to a guy sitting on a in a chair on the street? Because I'm in control. You know, I, I, I'm I'm the interviewer. I'm in control of the whole dynamic of this conversation. You know, and people are surrendering a certain amount of power and control to me as a result of agreeing to, to be interviewed by me. And sometimes I have to psych myself out when I'm in a social situation where I don't know anyone, and I'll just start asking questions as if I'm interviewing them to just psych <laughs> myself out, you know? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And inside, I'm just, like, very anxious. But when I, when I do the show, most times I'm not nervous. Yeah. Um, yeah, you put me at a, a party and uh, without a drink, yeah. and there's a bunch of people I don't know, I just, uh, man, I hate it. I've gotten a little better at it, but... But um, yeah, sometimes it can be really, really tough. Man, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. So you, you, you. When you get nervous, you ask questions. When I get nervous, I tell stories. So, so it's a bit, it's interesting. It's like the two, 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 two answers to the same uh, to the same question. 
It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and I want to have a, a a a life where I have stories to tell. Yeah, because you know, I've just been locked up in 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 my office for the last decade, you know, working as a writer primarily, and it's like there's not a whole lot of stories to tell. You, you, you think that's part of the the draw of the traveling to do the interviews? Yeah, yeah, go out there and do different experiences, and and and, and, and how different how different it would be is if you were sitting down in some guy's studio, which is where he works and where he's comfortable might get more out of him than you get over a computer. Yeah. You know? And I have another show that I, I, I want to do that has nothing to do with photography that would give me the excuse of going out there and having um, some interesting life experiences and meeting some interesting people. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's part of my, my, my short-term plan eventually is to have another program that taps into, into that, that part of life that i really am curious about because yeah. i feel like i've i've been able to have i can have i've proven to myself that i can get people to talk about themselves in an interesting way and i would just like to talk to people who normally i would never ever talk to yeah you know and have an excuse to spend some time with them yeah you know yeah. what's it like to spend two days with a crawfish fisherman yeah down the bayou yeah. for two days and just observe him and talk to him and ask questions and record it and cut it into something and yeah. share it. I mean, for me, that would be awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's, people always ask me, you know, like, why portrait photography? You know, why do you do that? And I say, you know, it's sure. I like taking pictures of people. I like getting the final results. I like doing all that kind of stuff, but really it's about spending the time with the person, talking to the person, right. you know, getting to know them, get, like getting in their head. The idea of, you know, the situations that I have, three or four or five minutes to take a portrait of somebody. Like I have things that I can do to make them feel comfortable in that short amount of time, but I'm not connecting with them as a person in three minutes, you know, mm -hmm. certainly not while I'm also trying to figure out how to get the light to work the way I want to. And, Oh shoot, the sink isn't working or, you know, <laughs> all of the things you normally have to do. But, but, but it's, but it's that connection. It's that, it's that human engagement. That is, that is, uh, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. The, 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 the photograph at the end of it, the portrait at the end of it, that's just the, 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 the artifact at the end of, 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 of the interaction, you know? Yeah. Cause in the end, in the end, to, for me, it's like, it's the people I've gotten to meet, the relationships I've been able to develop and nurture that for me is, is much more interesting than any photograph I'll ever make. Yeah. I mean, I love photography. I love making pictures, but in the end, you know, it's. It's about the experiences I've had with some interesting people. And if I'm lucky enough to be an old man, I, I don't want to be there, you know, pulling out a print box and take a look at this picture I made in 1987. Yeah. You know, I want to be able to sit there and go, oh, I, yeah, I met that guy. I talked to him and yep. here's a recording to prove it. And, yeah. you know, or I went to New York and I got to spend, you know, you know, having dinner with this world famous photographer and his wife and we talked about this and had some wonderful salmon and ah, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're collecting memories. Yeah. And getting to share them, which not most yeah. people, most people don't have the opportunity to do. Yeah. Well, you know what? You shared it with us tonight. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for asking me. Thanks again for joining me. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. 
The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.